This is everything you want to know about non-clinical careers for physicians. At Third Evolution, I'm your host, Robert Pretty. What would you say to me if I asked, what's the corporate culture of your medical practice? When I say, what's the corporate culture, the business culture, the office culture of your medical practice, do you say, huh? You probably do. Working with physicians in and out of practice for more than three decades, I can count on one hand the number of times I've had a physician comment to me about the culture of his or her practice. The fact is this, corporate culture is the most overlooked aspect of medical practice. It's a very strong statement, but simply, it's true. Yet, organizations, large and small, struggle with the issue of corporate culture. What is it? How do you say it? How do you inure it to the work attitude? It's how it shapes the customer experience, how staff are treated, how it defines your product, your service. When I was in the hospital or health system business over 20 years, I probably participated in some behavioral organizational study of employee attitudes, opinions, and satisfaction, serving as a barometer of corporate culture probably every three years or so. It never stopped. More importantly, I never participated in one that was worth the paper or the hard disk space that it consumed. Frankly, they were worthless, and let me tell you why. For one simple reason, their information and recommendations were never implemented. You see, corporate culture, or let me just refer to it as culture, it emanates from many places. It emanates from loud voices, but it also emanates from resistance. It emanates from routine or from invention. You might say that culture is like water. It will find its own level and it will consume everything around and within it. Affecting it, affecting it positively, it takes a coordinated effort and it demands leadership. It also takes a desire to change and frankly, a desire to change, change at the very top of most organizations. And that simply does not exist. That's why all those programs to improve employee behaviors, satisfaction and customer satisfaction, they tend to fail. And don't let anyone tell you differently. We always call them smile training. We're going to teach people to be nice. And guess what? Everyone or most everyone, well, they think they are nice. It's not about being nice. It's about communicating a culture that defines the organization in a positive and defined manner to establish standards and parameters for how we treat each other and how we treat our customers and everyone we interface with. Physician practices, large and small, they pay very little attention to the culture of the organization. Large practices often adopt sloganistic positions. We're patient-centered, we care, or some other phrase that really no one can, can, can explain what it means. What does patient-centered mean? Do patients dictate the schedule? After all, scheduling is about the only area of a physician visit that patients can really affect. The rest is clinical. Back when I managed medical practices and the physicians within my corporation provided my personal and my family's clinical care, I would tell the staff in my doctor's office to call me about 10 minutes before they were ready to room me for a visit. It took me five minutes to get to my physician's office. He was located one floor below my office, 
and I allowed a five-minute window for them to be wrong. Usually, I'd walk around the office for another 10 or 15 minutes waiting for my appointment. Eventually, I just said, call me when the room's open, and I still never kept my physician waiting. I considered that a patient-centered activity. Well, the average patient can't do what I did. How would your staff respond to a patient who requested to be called at some interval before their visit time to minimize their weight? Not to beat a dead horse, but the issue is culture, and the point is it isn't a slogan. Your practice has a culture, and you either actively contribute to what it is, or it just happens. Ignoring it doesn't make it go away. It only eliminates your voice from defining it. So the point of this podcast is to briefly discuss how to make culture happen and how to make it happen in a way that will make you, your staff, and your patients happy. I'm an advocate of what I termed the physician-centered practice. I talked about this in an earlier podcast. The essence of the physician-centered practice is that as the leader, the owner, the physician of your practice, you should have the loudest voice in defining your corporate culture. And the essence of the physician-centered practice is principally how you need to be treated and supported in your practice environment in order for you to be happy and successful. I would describe physician-centered as the internal focus of your practice and the basis or the driver for what becomes the external focus, the culture. Whereas corporate or practice culture is the more outward focus of your practice and drives how staff engage with one another and the customers, patients and their families, caregivers or other support people, culture is best addressed as a coordinated extension of the physician-centered practice. Therefore, establishing your corporate or practice culture begins with you and extends beyond what you need to what you want for those in your practice your staff, your patients, your referring physicians in their offices, hospital administrators, literally everyone with whom you and your practice engage. Consider this as managing the more externally directed culture and image of your practice. We're all familiar with Nordstrom's department stores. Nordstrom's has a corporate culture that says the customer is always right. Business books have been filled with examples of crazy and unreasonable demands made by Nordstrom customers that were nevertheless cheerfully and graciously fulfilled to the extent that they became literally urban business legend. Difficult to separate from fact or fantasy. Nevertheless, if you haven't read those volumes, one often cited example and a favorite of mine is a Nordstrom customer who supposedly demanded to return a set of automobile tires. The legend, or the fact, goes that the clerk graciously provided a refund after checking on the retail value of the tires, which took a few minutes and a bit of effort for the sales clerk because, well, Nordstrom's, they don't sell tires. Regardless, a refund for the appropriate retail value of those tires was issued. Now, no salesperson at Nordstrom's independently decided the company would accept tires for a refund, nor did any corporate vice president make that decision. However, years ago, Nordstrom's founder simply said, the customer's always right, and we will do everything in our power to meet their expectations. 
So if a customer believes he or she bought the tires at Nordstrom's and wants to return them, it's the culture of Nordstrom's to meet that customer's expectations. Your practice culture needs to revolve around you. How do you like to work? How do you want staff to interact with one another and with your patients? How do you want patients to respond to you and your staff? This internal discussion won't result in a slogan, but it can result in a method of working and communicating. Your culture may be a very high-touch, empathetic approach or a very brusque, efficient way of working. It doesn't matter as long as it is truly your way, the way you want to work and the way you want others to treat you. And it is effectively communicated among your staff, and to all the external audiences you engage. I'll quote my sainted grandmother who always preached the golden rule, which I interpreted as being more about consistency than goodness. But first, you have to determine how you expect or you demand to be treated and then treat everyone else the same way. That's a great way to begin looking at your culture because it will be natural. It will not be something you need to force because it is you. And the most sustainable implementation of defining and implementing your corporate culture will begin with you. It has to begin at the top. Otherwise, it's going to erode away as you ignore it and your staff emulates you in ignoring it as well. The next step is to enumerate that treatment. It's one thing to say that you want everyone treated with courtesy and respect, It is quite another to define courtesy and respect by your parameters. Let me give you an example. I'm sure the staff of most stores my family frequent believe they are courteous and respectful. However, occasionally a somewhat younger staff person will refer to my wife as young lady. Well, neither of us are young, at least not chronologically. And if you want to see my wife bristle with anger, well, call her young lady and see what happens. Therefore, part of establishing your culture is also interpreting it based on your customers. Your objective is to meet your needs while simultaneously meeting theirs. Those two objectives are not incongruous. You need to understand what others expect and want and manage that within your own parameters. And guess what? Some people, well, they won't be happy. That's right. Some people may not like your corporate culture and they may leave. However, others will learn of your culture, how you conduct your practice, how you treat your patients, and how you expect them to treat you and your staff. And those people, those patients, well, they'll be attracted to you. The end result becomes a practice that meets your needs, has a corporate or practice culture based on how you wish to deliver medicine and treat patients, and how you wish to be treated by your staff and by your patients. This translates literally into a self-selection process of staff and patients and translates further to how others, other physicians, administrators, and business contacts will come to treat you. Let me give you another example of corporate culture. Many years ago, a good friend of mine and I were talking about his medical practice. He had a solo internal medicine practice. And one afternoon, I said, how are you able to deal with the call? You don't have any call coverage. You don't associate with anyone. He looked at me with somewhat of a surprised expression on his face, and he said, what call? I wasn't quite sure how to respond, but I said, well, you know, don't you get calls in the evening? And he said, well, absolutely not. 
I said, well, how in the world can you not have patients call you? And he said to me, it's simple, Bob, because I have trained my patients to respect me and my time. And I have told them consistently, if they believe they're so ill that they need to be seen by me, well, they probably should go to an emergency department. And that's exactly what I tell them. And I haven't had a call in years. His message to his patients was simple. If you're so ill, you believe you need to see a physician, you should go to the ER. If you believe you can wait until the next day, call me immediately in the morning and we'll endeavor to work you in as quickly as possible. He was straightforward and direct with his patients about what he expected and what he would do to help them as much as he possibly could. That was the culture of his practice. And for him, it worked. And he had worked proactively to establish that set of expectations within his practice. Your other option, well, again, it's for you to do nothing. Let each staff person define for themselves the meaning of your request to be nice to people, and your culture will be determined on a person-by-person, one-off basis with no consistency, and worse, no control. You'll love one patient because they treat you with respect, and you'll dread the next because they're unreasonably demanding. Why can't they all be like the respectful one, you'll ask? But the answer is simple, because you have decided to allow them to behave however they wish. You have not established a culture, standards, expectations. Remember, some things are easy to script, such as how patients are greeted, what's said in reminder calls, how payment is requested. Other issues arise on the fly. For example, is everyone courteous until... A charge is misplaced, and then it's finger-pointing time? How do you respond to the patient that consistently misses appointments? Courtesy and respect is a two-way street. Finally, keep enumerating, but with stories rather than with rules. After the rules, your policies and procedures have been enshrined in an appropriately assembled manual. Turn now to stories to reinforce them. Stories become the lifeblood of corporate culture. If the Nordstrom tire story is true, and really at this point it doesn't matter because it's a legend, then the power of the story became that it reinforced the larger corporate commitment to customer satisfaction and the flexibility expected of staff in meeting that commitment. Let me tell you another story. I was once the vice president of a hospital in Decatur, Illinois, Decatur Memorial Hospital. It had a long history that emanated from two civic leaders who founded the organization, and it was then carried forward by one of my early mentors, a wonderful gentleman and healthcare leader, Anthony J. Perry. In 1958, his predecessor, Leon Pullen, commissioned the writing of the hospital's history. That book, called Two Miles North, was a storybook. That is, a book of stories of the people who made the hospital from its conception to those days in the late 50s. Then, in the mid-1980s, Mr. Perry commissioned a sequel to carry forward the storytelling of that fine institution. While I'm not suggesting you write a book about your practice, telling stories of your practice will set the expectations for you, your staff, and for your patients. Many physicians, particularly OBGYNs and pediatricians, do this today with picture walls of their patients. Well, that may be a HIPAA violation, but it helps staff and other patients see the practice's history. 
Such examples further focus staff and the physicians on the good they have done and how they did it. All these things, deciding your own golden rules, establishing sound policies and procedures, and telling your stories, they become the foundational elements of your corporate culture. If you have questions or comments about this podcast or any other podcast or a question about non-clinical careers in general, don't hesitate to contact me at 720-339-3585. That's for voice, message, or text. Until next time, thanks for listening. Again, it's Robert Pretty for Third Evolution.